0: What's your price to go streaking at Yankee Stadium? You must do this twice in one season to be paid in full. Or to magically develop hyperthymesia. You will forever remember most life events in vivid detail. Or to log and itemize a mound of trash containing every plastic item you've ever thrown away but not recycled. Let's find out.
1: And by find out, we mean it's time to play Human Values, your weekly stop for logical debates about illogical questions. Here to give each hypothetical the dialectical, but the O in comedy game show, and scrape that gum off your shoe when you're feeling kind of blue. We're your hosts, Lindsay Hicks.
0: And Aaron Rubin Corny.
1: Also joining us today is a multifaceted content creator from the heavens, fellow podcaster and just thoughtful wonder, Jay Shapiro.
0: Oh, we about to get philosophical on your asses. Let's go. Yo, 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 think it up.
1: I'm going to do a little ASMR intro for everyone. Today, we have award-winning filmmaker, writer, and philosophical podcaster, Jay Shapiro. Speaking of all of that, he hosts the Dilemma Podcast, a philosophy podcast. Speaks about problems what to do next with some of today's top thinkers and writers. But he's making so much more than that. Prolific fellow, lovely fellow, and a really great beard. Hi, Jay.
2: Thank you. I mean, I didn't think the beard was going to get a compliment, but yeah, it's great to be here.
0: I mean, with a beard like that, how could we not just really address the elephant in the room, which is that phenomenal beard. It
2: wasn't always this gray. It's like matching the fuzzy on the mic. Do you want to help us, Jay, for
1: those listening who can't see your beard right now? Can you forget everything else? Let's walk through what your beard looks like.
2: It's a little more than a five o'clock shadow. It's like more of a eight o'clock, 8 p.m. shadow. It looks exactly like a middle-aged man. I think I could call myself that now, who just doesn't like to shave very much. (laughs) Just does it every few days and just lets it grow.
0: But it also gives a little bit of highly knowledgeable survivalist vibes. And I don't know if that's what you were going for, but it's really just you're exuding that.
2: Yeah, if there's like a zombie apocalypse... Just follow the guy with the beard.
0: A hundred percent.
2: It's probably like if you have to just profile people based on like who you should follow, it's actually probably not a bad heuristic to carry around.
0: I actually
1: don't know because if somebody's scrappy enough to figure out a way to shave during the apocalypse, I kind of want to know who that is.
2: That's true. Yeah, if someone has like a really good like line, you're like, they figured out how to use like broken glass and a really, yeah. I mean, it depends on what kind of apocalypse, I suppose.
0: They sharpened a toothbrush on a concrete floor or something. Yeah. That's classic prison shank. (laughs) Sorry, I had to bring prison shanks into this so soon. I usually wait until like 30 minutes in to start talking about prison shanks.
1: Yeah, what does the philosophy community think these days about prison shanks?
2: Oh, all for it. I mean, everyone is, it's all the rage. Straight in the back, ask Caesar.
1: Okay. At the last Socratic powwow, you guys talked
2: about shanks and it went well? Yeah. I mean, it's just survival of the fittest, I suppose. Survival of the the shankiest.
0: Ooh, shankiest.
2: It doesn't sell. Don't put it on a bumper sticker.
0: Can I ask you a question about the philosophy community at large? Yeah. Do you guys ever break into like the shallow stuff, like I would love to imagine a lot of like people who are into philosophy sitting around discussing like Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson's breakup. Do pop culture things ever come up or like highly silly, trite issues of our time?
2: I bring them up. So first of all, a caveat, you know, I'm a filmmaker who works with a lot of people in the philosophy community. I'm very still, like, would be major imposter syndrome to call myself amongst the crowd.
1: You swim in the swimming pool, though. It's not like you're somewhere else.
0: Yeah, you're speaking that language.
1: Maybe you paddle in the shallow pool if you want to give yourself that, if you really want to be tough on yourself, but you're in the pool with them.
2: I'm in the pool. I know the lingo. I know my way around it. I have my own opinions that I form. I'll give a plug now for someone who's not a philosopher, but Chuck Klosterman. I've been recommending this book to anybody who has a pulse, who wrote a book called The 90s. It's about the 90s, of course. I think this is the kind of actual stuff that is like desperately needed from philosophers, critics, sociologists, all that kind of stuff. And it's full of like, you know, you could call it philosophy in a way, more like sociology, but of nirvana, um, American beauty and things that happened in the 90s in the pop culture realm and sports and something, one of the questions we're going to be tackling about steroid era and kind of what it means. It's that we need so much more of that, actually. I mean, looking back on the stuff in this book, well, I liked it so much. Is things that happened in the '90s seem unbelievable now and super weird, but at the time they didn't really seem weird. <laughs> it, it takes a lot that, like, just to step out of the moment and try to put the pattern and the pieces together and what the philosophy might mean. And frankly, you could do way more predictive power with that kind of stuff. So I don't know. How, I don't know how to predict oh, Kim yeah. Kardashian's next move <laughs> or whatever. Like, you know, the the next thing's going to happen in the world. But if you if you start to sort of see the 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 philosophies that have subconsciously, and no one talks about it out loud, but it manifests itself in the kind of music that's popular and the kind of films Mm -hmm. that are popular. Here's here's a dumb example, but maybe a really good one. I talked about the apocalypse. Zombie films are incredibly ripe for sort of sociology and philosophy Mm -hmm. and, and not just the fears that are capturing people. They got incredibly popular during the AIDS epidemic for obvious reasons of infection. And they were huge in that crowd. Dawn of the Dead is an incredibly good film about consumerism, if anyone knows that, of zombies in the shopping mall. Yeah. For me, it's not shallow stuff. I think that stuff is incredibly overlooked. It's, and it's frankly the stuff that people encounter. So philosophers and communicators of philosophy should be using it as much as possible.
0: There's a way to get to people that are that do love the culture the pop culture stuff, you know, colloquialisms as they're constantly evolving and all of that. And I think that if you can take a philosopher's eye to that and kind of use the zeitgeist to sneak in some philosophy, that would be just chef's kiss. That also
1: gets me thinking a lot about like how now a lot of pop culture content stems from science fiction and fantasy and the the original roots of like sci-fi fantasy as well. Right. J.R. Tolkien wrote The Hobbit based on his experiences in wartime. A lot of authors at that time did. Right. Mm-hmm. I think C.S. Lewis is, was based a lot on war and a lot of his theistic struggles at the time as well. And a lot of sci-fi is rooted in almost all science fiction is explorations of different themes and trying to play with like okay if you made this one bent on reality what happens and so it seems like maybe pop culture like i spent so many hours talking to friends about thanos's snap right a few years ago
0: i don't know if you remember this Aaron but i got you a cookie cake that was the thanos glove do you remember this
1: Lindsay? there's no world where i would ever forget a cookie cake you gave me <laughs> Ever.
0: It took a lot of work to explain to the people at the cookie cake place how to make, what was that glove called?
1: The infinity gauntlet.
0: I just had to remind you that I'm a good friend. Thank you.
1: Lindsay, you're a great friend. You're the best person (laughs) ever. Well, in the spirit of hypotheticals and interesting queries (laughs) and... Going down rabbit holes that nobody asked for, but everyone's getting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Maybe we kick things off. Jay, it's going to be pretty straightforward. We're going to ask you three crazy weird hypotheticals, walk you through it. And the goal here is the least amount that we each have to be paid, not just any amount. Cool? Yeah, yeah. All right, groovy. Let's party. Lindsay, you want to drop the needle?
0: What's your price to go streaking at Yankee Stadium? You must do this twice in one season to be paid in full.
2: So there's a lot of variables here. so you said they're hypotheticals. A lot of these are very like personal to me, which you'll see the the three that are coming my way. Jay, what do you do in your free time? Watch baseball. I watch a lot of baseball actually. So this one's very relevant. Naked? Like, what are you getting at here? Well, so here, so, okay. So let me, let me put this one out to begin with. All of my analysis and thinking about this particular question, I factor in the nudity thing almost nil because I really actually have very little shame about being naked. The way I'm already factoring that one is I know that's worth something to other people. So immediately I want to raise the price because I actually don't care very much about it, but I know other people do. So I could sort of bluff my way to a higher price by you know, factoring that in. But personally, I'm actually not even factoring in the nudity thing that much to go streaking in Yankee Stadium. In fact, in some ways it makes it almost like if people had seen me do it, like my friends or family, they might be like, oh, Jay went crazy and somehow like forgives the, the thing a little more because it's a little just more extreme to go do it naked. And I don't know if you guys knew this when you chose Yankee Stadium, but the price is rather, the cost and the punishment is rather high in New York.
0: What is it? So,
2: so there's a little story here. Of New York, there's something called the Calvin Klein rule in New York. Yes, <laughs> you and, yeah, so already, and it has nothing actually to do with the underwear yet of Calvin Klein. And the streaking thing was just coincidental. There was a New York Knicks game. I think the year was 2003. I might be getting that off a little bit, maybe eight. A New York Knicks game. They are playing in Madison Square Garden. I think it was against the Toronto Raptors late in the season. And Calvin Klein, yes, that Calvin Klein, the fashion designer, was sitting like in the front row, got some money and had some good tickets.
1: He's the one from Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah.
2: No, back to the future. You're you're missing it. Oh, he's the old guy. Got it. Okay, go on. <laughs> he's, he's the old guy. He's the old guy, fashion designer and very wealthy. It was an inbounds play where Latrell Sprewell, who was also a very enigmatic character in his own right, once choked a coach if any basketball fans are listening out there. But at this time, Latrell was just trying to play basketball and the, the referee had given him the ball and he was looking for a teammate to pass the ball into and over wanders Calvin Klein in the middle of the game and like grabs Latrell's elbow and whispers something in his ear. No one really knows exactly what's going on or what's going to happen. Latrell's like, why is security here? He gets sort of ushered away and back to his seat. And that was kind of it. The game went on. He was clearly inebriated. It was very embarrassing for him. It was like all over the New York Post and stuff for the next few days. And he actually checked himself into rehab a few days later. So that's not like the happiest part of the story. But Michael Bloomberg, who was the mayor at the time, issued an increased penalty for interrupting sporting events in New York City. So it's actually quite steep there. And so it's now known as the Calvin Klein rule. And it's a $25,000 fine.
1: Wait, so anytime you see it happen on camera during a sporting event, that person is not just free
2: willy. If they're doing it in New York.
0: It's just New York.
2: Yeah, this is New York. It's a, bur- it's like New York.
1: Oh, it's anywhere in New York. Yeah, yeah. What are the rules though? Because I know, I know in New York, women can legally go topless.
2: This is just like interrupting an event, I think.
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're naked or not. It's if you go on the field and interrupt the event, it's $25,000.
2: But you could also get up to a year in prison. I highly doubt they enforce this all the way. But your question is also streaking two times. So I imagine if I streaked once, they, I would get in some trouble and face this $25,000 fine. And I think you get banned for life from the stadium and probably from all stadiums, but at least Yankee Stadium. But you're asking me to do it again which means I'm going to have to get back into the stadium somehow, probably in disguise, probably not that big of a deal, probably no one checking. But once I do it again, they're, like, they're, they're, they're going to be strict and they're going to be like, so now it's at least a $50,000 fine and potentially a year in jail. And I, I would probably, again, have some trouble getting out of it. So my price starts getting, I mean, it's at least fifty. Because that's literally you're breaking even, but I'm obviously going to raise it a lot more than that.
1: Well, this is all about your bare minimum.
2: Yeah, I know. But like, I need to build in some dollars that add on to the embarrassment of it, the hassle of it. But the the banning of probably from any major league baseball event in the country for the rest of my life is a cost to me because I love baseball. So my cost is getting higher and higher. Right.
0: Knowing about the $25,000 fine is one thing, but then something else to be concerned about just from a legal standpoint is sex offender registry and a possible like indecent exposure charge. Like there's a lot of legal things that could come from this that I don't want. And then also if you're on that registry, it shows up every time you apply for a job. It shows like there's a lot of reasons that having a record is bad. So, just considering that really raises my price,
1: I'm proud of you that you're not on it by the way.
0: thank you so much. I have feed in public a couple of times, and I've really gotten off scot free.
1: I'm glad you didn't get Scott.
0: Thank you. thank you for that so So, I'm really just considering what it would what it would cost for a like i also I'm a very modest person being naked on a televised event sounds like my nightmare a little bit. There's really nothing about this that I'm like you know what? It would be worth it. So I would have to be paid a lot of money to make this worth my while.
1: But it's not a nothing. It's not one where you're like, there's no way.
0: No, I definitely have a price. It's going to be a lot of money.
1: It's the second visit that really makes this awful.
0: Well, yeah, because then any like seed of doubt you may have like it was a moment of insanity because then after that, they'll probably put you in some sort of like mental hospital.
1: But
2: you'll be rich. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Rich and crazy.
0: Yeah, which I already have one.
2: I want to share a little bit like where my mind goes to factor this in is like as a general principle, and maybe something for the whole conversation is that getting money for something like this or doing something that's sort of totally outrageous or against my values, call me idealistic, I wouldn't feel comfortable spending on myself, I wouldn't feel comfortable using, I just would feel dirty about it. I think I mentioned to you guys, I'm working with Peter Singer. If if I could bring out his famous drowning stranger in a pond analogy, it's really quick to lay out sort of his ethic. It just goes like this. Imagine you just bought a new pair of shoes, really nice new pair of shoes, and you're walking to wherever and you're passing a shallow pond. And then you turn and you see a child uh, struggling and drowning in this shallow pond and his hypothetical is just simply like should you would you run in and should you run in to go save the child knowing that you're going to ruin your shoes and of course everybody without hesitation is like yeah like where's the problem here and then his his next step is to try to show how those of us in the affluent world are kind of actually in that position all the time. Cause if I could present to you right now, let's say before you're about to go buy a, a latte at Starbucks, that you could give that money to this charity and you know put a few malaria nets or whatever in Africa, and you likely will save a life of a child, or you know, here's the price to save a life of a child, you're in the same situation. Shouldn't you pass up that latte that you don't really need? Because, you know, you would do this. You would throw the latte away to go save the kid in the drowning pond. So what's really the difference here? Is it the distance? Is it this? And we could talk about the drowning pond all day. And I I will in my film in a lot of ways. But one of the most back to the sort of like analysis of this question, my mind goes to being like, this is stupid. I don't want to run through Yankee Stadium. I don't wanna, you know, I don't wanna deal with this hassle. I don't actually care as I already said about like the naked part fine I don't factor that in much but if you phrase the question as like how many lives would you save to go streaking in Yankee Stadium twice and deal with the hassle of it that's the way my mind works right yeah, yeah. like so if the money because I'm not thinking like oh I'm going to use the money and you know buy a car like what the hell am I going to buy I actually don't care and I like I said I actually would feel weird and dirty about the money that I got from something as silly as that. And I just don't think I would enjoy the fruits of my purchases very much. But if it's like I can save a bunch of lives if I go streaking in Yankee Stadium twice and deal with this insane hassle. And as Lindsay said, maybe a sex register. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not, but I assume it's just not fun to go through what you go through after doing that twice, regardless of the fine.
1: I'm going to push you here. So, because I feel like we're we're leading up to that wall.
2: Yeah. Do you have a price in mind? I think it would be north of 5 million because I think I could get someone to get there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's not, I, I think I wouldn't accept it for less because it, then it just starts to feel a little weird for me. But it's probably five, 5 million I start to get tempted. And I want to put this out there too. What I would want is to deal with all the hassle, all the embarrassment, maybe embarrassing articles written about me. But then this really cool article written about like, hey, he gave the money away to this charity. That's why he did this stupid thing. And then suddenly I'm redeemed. <laughs> You'd be known as the the altruistic streaker. Yeah, which, you know, it started. It might start a trend. We would, we would need maybe Calvin Klein can join me next time. He's got enough money. Calvin should just do it. <laughs> oh, he's got
0: plenty. I'm sure he would just match you, match all of your donations.
2: Yeah, exactly. Lindsay, two questions for you: A, what's your price? And
1: B, how many puppies would you be trying to rescue with your money?
0: <laughs> I am gonna say. million because I want to donate the same amount as Jay, but then I also want $3 million additional dollars to do really selfish stuff like get hair extensions and build a, a place where I can live with 700 dogs. Well, not 700, but enough that I could, you know, take care of at once.
1: A herd.
0: I'm donating whatever Jay is donating not to be outdone, but then also I want to be selfish because I'm not the beacon of morality that Jay is. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Are hair extensions that expensive? I just I, <laughs>
0: It was the first thing that I thought of and I don't know why I thought of it. Okay, I probably wouldn't actually do that. They're very harmful in the long run, I've heard.
1: So I'm going pure selfish here and I'm going to not be shamed for it because here's the deal. If I'm going to stand up in the middle of a baseball game, which I don't want to go to, I don't want to go to a baseball game. So if I'm going to stand up Start walking down to the bottom area there and have to walk by some weird people. And I got to imagine at some point they're going to be looking at me because I'm going to be taking off my clothes. So imagine I'm going down the stairs and walking towards the main field and I'm starting to strip. Oh, Lindsay, it's fine. You're just going to have to deal with this. And as I get to the main ballpark area down below, I'm going to have to hop over the little fence naked. And I'm going to have to get onto the green. And then I bolt. And I will bolt naked and I am out of shape. So I will fall over at some point there. At some point I'm sweaty, I'm naked, I'm gross, I'm on a field, and I'm getting tackled by professional athletes. I don't want that. And then to do it again? Yeah. And just think about all the things that people would judge me for, it'd ruin my life. Like forget it. I don't, I don't think I'd recover. Like I'd want. Like $100 million because I think my entire future is potentially compromised and I want to be able to do philanthropic things with that money so I can do the redemption you guys are talking about. But for selfish reasons, I want to save my image and have a career and be creative and not be limited by the fact that no one will go near me because they've seen me naked being tackled by
2: baseball people. It might be the security guards, unfortunately. It might it might just be even worse. I don't know if the players would chase chase you down. I mean, they might.
1: I'd run
0: after them. I yeah, want to get tackled by a professional
2: them. baseball player yeah. if I'm doing this.
0: But also, you could train for this if you wanted to. You know, so you could run really fast across the field, so maybe they wouldn't catch you. Or you could, like...
2: You could get, you get in could, great shape.
0: Yeah, you could get in incredible shape, so you can run really fast. And then you could do, like, grease yourself up so they can't catch you.
1: Ooh, I do like the idea of being greased up naked in public at a ballpark while shaming my family and friends. That
0: sounds nice. If they choose shame, that's, that's really their choice. You're just living your best life out there, naked on the field.
2: There's probably a really <laughs> terrible joke that it's the Yankees that we're talking about, but I just can't put two and two together. If you want to solve that puzzle for me, feel free. Did you just make a smart dick joke, but without saying it? I put it in everyone's mind for them to put the pieces together. I just didn't want to do the work. Yeah.
1: It was a Yankee joke. I like it. The Yankee. Let's talk about people who aren't dicks. Let's talk about our audience. So, Jay, we pull our audience every week and let's look at what they had to say about this. The high to do this was $20 million. The person said, quote, you'd be trespassing, very least likely charged with a misdemeanor, maybe worse depending on Yankees and MLB anger, would have to be prepared for some jail time. Hence the price. I agree. I think this is ruining your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. But the low is forty grand.
2: You see, like they don't know about the Calvin Klein rule. They're literally losing ten grand just on the fines.
1: Yeah. About half our audience was over a million dollars though.
2: Yeah, that's a big one.
1: One person here put a million dollars and said, I am fat and trans. I'm not sure there's enough money to cover the emotional damage of streaking through a stadium of sports fans. I don't think I would really consider it until five hundred thousand dollars, ideally per streak. So one million total. That's fair. If you have issues with showing yourself that way, I could see this being a whole other layer.
0: I mean, but also it's specific to sports fans, which can not always, but can be maybe not the most open to our LGBT plus community.
1: Oh, I know what you mean. But Lindsay, hold on. Pay close attention. You ready? Watch what I'm going to do here. I'm going to do a little magic trick for you. Okay. That feels like a moment I'd never forget.
0: Wink, wink. Speaking of never forgetting, Ooh. What's your price to magically develop hyperthymesia? You will forever remember most life events in vivid detail. Jay, are you familiar with this thing?
2: I wasn't. I did some research and I looked it up. Um, I think they call themselves HSAMs. There's actually a really fun YouTube rabbit hole to go down where people talk about their experiences of this thing. It seems some people have a really good time with it and some people are crippled by it. There seems to be quite a range here about it's like a lot of there's a lot of unknowns about this condition. And there was people who doubted it even existed for a while, it seems like. Cause on first blush, and this probably happens to a lot of your questions. I'm like, oh, I actually want this thing. I would I would pay to get this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agree, by the way. This feels appealing. It does feel appealing. And there's a few, there was a few people that I saw talk about their experience. Um, who, you know, seem to like it. There's not a lot of people diagnosed with this in the world. It's like in the hundreds, maybe even less. Some of them find this crippling and they would rather give it up and they can't concentrate on things and they would, they can't hold jobs. But it seems for the most part. People actually have a decent time with it. And I get sort of the impulse of the question with, of this vivid thing of like, you're going to remember the awful things incredibly clearly as well. It's hard for mental health.
1: It's hard for you to move on. We have so many defense mechanisms to help us kind of feel painful moments less viscerally as time goes on. And that'd be awful if you couldn't have that kind of built in.
2: I guess the reason why it feels appealing is it seems that this operates a bit like... They don't just come at you. It doesn't just like pop into your mind. It does seem like intentional recall that's incredibly good. It's something... I mean, the people who have it seem to describe it like a Google search in their brain. Here's a bad computer analogy. It's not RAM, but it's an external hard drive. It seems like you're searching in a catalog of things... And a lot of researchers, are, of course, are studying this because it's, it's fascinating and they want to know how these people are doing it. But I don't think it quite works like, you know, you experienced this awful thing and now it's just haunting you whether you want it or not. Like you said, it's recall. If you want to think about it or you're prompted, then it'll come back vividly. I mean, for me again, yeah, it sounds appealing. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm just naive here that I'm not sure what I'm missing about it, but I, I want this thing.
1: I'm with you, but okay. So you and I are kind of on the same page here. Lindsay, why don't you walk us through where your reservations are?
0: Well, I had, I think maybe a similar experience to you, Jay, where I was initially, I was like, oh, that would be great. Because I was thinking, I would then be super smart. Like I'm remembering every page of everything I've, I've read and every class I've taken and all like I'm having this like vivid memory and experience of all these things I've learned so I can employ them in my day to day life. But then I think about, I already am a bit of a traumatized person and I'm carrying through just old regular person memories. So I'm like, oh my God, if I was carrying vivid detail of like the many traumas in my life that have led me to this moment where I am Already like dealing with so much, like how much worse would it be? I don't even know. And I, don't, I can't even imagine.
1: Or would you be more distilled version of you? Cause you're great. So would that just make you more Lindsay because it's just all your moments more distilled? By the way, I apologize for interrupting you to compliment you.
0: Oh, <laughs> I thought it was really nice. Thanks. But also, I feel like if you are living so much in these memories, if so much of your brain space is spent in a memory, like how present can you really? Be. a lot of my ability to stay present is being able to like push out all of the things and be able to be like, let me just be in this moment. But if they're in there with that much vivid detail and taking up so much of that brain energy, like what does presence feel like in a conversation with a person about something seemingly mundane? You know what I mean? I can't imagine what the experience would be like. I worry that it could get zark. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) for me personally. But I mean, for some people, it might be the best thing ever for somebody that grew up with kind of like a sparkling childhood and a great education and everything was just kind of okay, But then you never know when something's going to happen that you remember in vivid detail that then you have to live with every single day.
1: I think it's also tough working in the entertainment industry that like we are clowns, (laughs) like we're clowns. And so you'd have to remember all the dumb shit you've done to make people laugh Where it didn't go right.
0: Oh, yeah. And there's a lot.
1: And folks at home, Lindsay's face. Oof. That is not a happy face.
0: (laughs) Those are already things that keep me up at night.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like things you've done in life that you regret. And just knowing that you are going to now have a crystal clear memory of the time you bombed each time you bombed. I mean, there's a lot of benefits to remembering because you can reference it, right? For good intellectual conversations or for work, just having
2: great retention. So there's a lot of advantages in terms of time saving. Yeah. For me, when I imagine having this, it, it feels like a challenge, absolutely a challenge, but like a really kind of amazing one. The people that I've seen who have it in these interviews, and again, I'm just sort of talking about what I could scrape on YouTube. They can remember days and what they did on a day really specifically and like what dress they were wearing. Um, there was some actress, I forget who who had it. Um, I want to say she was on the show Taxi. I don't know if you guys researched it, but someone fairly well-known I might, might be getting that show wrong. I researched Taxi to fall asleep every night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if it was Taxi. I was like, I don't know. But she remembered like the dress she was wearing in a specific episode. And, you know, it, it seems sort of lovely. I don't want to forget anything in my life, the good or the bad even if it's traumatic, I, I think it just presents the challenge of the philosophical framework and the way you, you live your life and to be able to sort of process those things. I, I, I guess, you know, like my father died and I have these vivid memories of him on his deathbed and, and these things that I totally cherish. I mean, there was a lot of pain there, but um, I think, you know, it it takes some courage, but life shouldn't all just be the, you know, lovely, happy memories and butterflies, the dark stuff is important to spend time with and to process and not just forget. But it's it's a challenge. I know I'm speaking maybe from a place of, of privilege there to a degree where I'm not having these sort of like nightmares pop in my head that some people really just would rather forget.
1: It feels kind of beautiful, right? Like moments of adversity in life are what define the most growth for all of us. There's this great lecture I love by Ram Dass from the 70s where he talked about how Pain and problems and death and just all the darkness that one can experience in life are the predecessors of any great revolutionary realization or renaissance or moment of self-discovery. So there is something to be said about crystal clear memory of all of those helping you to grow and better yourself and have new perspective in ways that you weren't capable of before.
0: There's one side where I don't, there are things that I don't remember that well that I feel like my brain is protecting me from. And I'm sure there are also things that I don't remember because my brain is fully protecting me from it.
1: Is it all the times that I crashed and burned trying to do a joke in front of you?
0: Yes. (laughs)
2: Sorry. There's no way for her to know. (laughs) Yeah. How would I know? You don't remember, but I said I was sorry.
0: (laughs) But also I feel like there's a way where you could utilize this to help other people that have gone through similar things or kind of be a sponge for a lot of information and become super duper smart and then do something really cool with your super brain. Yeah. To me, I view super memory as like a form of super intelligence because the retention rate for most people is not great. So I'm viewing this as like an opportunity to experience a version of like super brain
2: <laughs> hmm.
0: and maybe do something cool with it. And I don't know what it is. So yes, there's downsides, but the super functioning brain thing would be kind of cool and makes me think that maybe my price isn't that high for this.
2: Yeah. If there's things that have happened that your your brain is protecting you from and you're sure of it, don't you think it manifests itself somehow?
0: Oh, 100%. I spend at least three hours a week with professionals sorting through all of that stuff.
2: Yeah. And so wouldn't it be better to like be able to trace it back to its source in a way and discover more things about it? Because that's the only way to actually ever... Some things will always be painful, but it's a way to at least... When something is just like when when you're behaving in a way, whether you have a temper or you get in a fight with your, your spouse or you're just like off or something you know, bothers you and you're not sure why. That's a much more like awful, unstable feeling, at least for me. Of like the chaos of
0: not knowing why you feel the way you feel, yeah.
2: Yeah, rather than like, oh, like, you know, I got that from my dad or something or that thing that happened to me in third grade.
0: Yeah, that's really true. I don't know
2: if it helps or not, but at least being able to like (laughs) explain yourself to yourself better is something that I strive for. This, It seems like this is a key to it. I'm going to say I would do it for free. I would take this.
0: For free. OK, I like it.
1: I want this. I would do zero dollars. I, I could see the trauma and the angst and the pain of it. But I see so much growth and so much potential for good for the self and for others. Right. Because you can also be supportive for friends if like they're like having a traumatic moment or a breakup. And they're like, I don't remember if I said that. And you're like, actually, at this time, this day, then you said that. And like that could bring relief to people.
0: When you agree to do it and you say yes, do all of your old memories flood back or do you start from that moment?
1: Yeah, I was I was thinking about that. I think it's going to be a lifetime.
0: So it's all the old memories, too, because that's going to be a real flood of stuff that's going to take me out of the rotation for a minute. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. But just like regular thinking, like Jay said, it's it's going to be a recall effect. So it's only going to be once you try to access those memories, they will now be available to you. So it's going to be a lot of like intense. It'll be a tough month. It'll be a long
0: month. It might be a tough moment. I'm just trying to like figure out because that'll factor into my price of like, am I going to be able to work for this time when when my brain is rearranging itself? Or should I do? I just need to like have enough money to go away to a cave in a cabin and like journal and read some books and talk to a therapist on the phone.
1: I would take either for free. I, I don't know about you. It wouldn't affect my price. Either option I would take for free. Either I get to remember things from now on And I'm very careful about using that to my advantage or I get up life's journey and you're going to have some weird memories. But yeah.
0: Okay. Mine is if it's from now on free, if it's all the memories from forever, $200,000. Wow.
2: That's kind of sad. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I like it. But yeah. Now I just want to know. And I just want to be your therapist and <laughs> be like, what is so expensive back there?
1: Jay, let's tee you up to be like Lindsay here. Let's do let's do the lifelong one because that that's where she got a price.
2: I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm free for both and I'm negative if I could be like, I'm willing to put money on the table to, I mean, it, it'd be nice if I could get like a, a refund if I don't like it or like, a, you know, but I, I'm willing to take, the, take the, the chance on it. From what I've seen, again, I'm like, I'm sure someone's going to hear this and being like, he has no idea. It's actually terrible. But from what I've seen, If I get a typical case of it, like I'm down, it seems fairly controllable and fairly interesting. And we're all going to die anyway. So we're all going to forget anything at at that point. So (laughs) why not?
0: True.
1: You know, it's not going to die, Jay, how much we love our listeners who pull on this show.
0: (laughs) Nice transition.
1: (laughs) I don't have much going for me, but I can do a transition and I can do it moderately well. The high is a billion dollars. Two people said a billion dollars. Wow. The low. Three people said zero dollars. One person here wrote, quote, this sounds dope. I have ADHD and can't remember anything. I would take this for free. Same, Mm. same, 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 same. That would be (laughs) huge. I have the worst recollection because of that. I didn't even think about the ADHD part. Oh, here's someone who's positive, though. Jake put $200 and said, this sounds great. I mean, for some people, I imagine it would be terrible, but my life has been mostly pretty good. Would love to be able to remember stuff from my early life that I've forgotten, as long as I don't discover any repressed dark secrets, I guess. Yeah, Jake, who knows what you'd find?
0: If that's my brother, then you'd find a lot.
1: (laughs) A little over a quarter of our audience was over $5 million. 36% was under 50 grand. I don't have reasons here for the people who put a bill in, but yeah, yeah, it's interesting.
0: I'd like to ask them.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I don't know. I think everyone's opinion is gold. And I think no one's opinion here is trash, Lindsay.
0: Okay, what's your price to log and itemize a mound of trash containing every plastic item you've ever thrown away, but not recycled?
1: Mm-hmm. I'm going to do a Lindsay here. Guys, I hate this so much.
0: <laughs> hey, that's it's like looking in a mirror. Yeah, that sounds bad. That sounds like a not fun thing to do. Did you know that every piece of plastic you've ever used still exists in some form? I do now. Plastic doesn't go away. Anytime you use it, it's there forever. It breaks up into tiny pieces that are now probably lodged in your brain.
1: Past me hadn't thought about it, but because you helped him, current me knows that.
0: (laughs) Anytime.
2: So first, I have some questions on this one. And I have a, have a, a very personal story about this one, actually. So I have weird... Weirdly, a lot of experience with this.
0: With logging plastics?
2: Almost. An ex-girlfriend of mine. We were together for for a few years. It was a, it was a, a good, serious relationship, and we left amicably. She, when I met her and continued it pretty much through our relationship, was dedicated to a no-trash life and had gotten down all the way, this is no joke, to only producing the stickers on produce as the only trash that she was accumulating and adding to the world. Everything else was eliminated. Yeah. And so I was exposed to what it takes to try that life um, and that experiment. I thought of it as more of a sort of like social experiment. I think she had that plus sort of just guilt of not wanting to add trash to the world. Um, I learned a lot about the um, myths of recycling while I was doing it, which are uh, myriad. Oh, Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was living sort of a zero waste life. She had a thing called the No Trash Project that she was working on. It was interesting and cool. There's a lot of benefits to it. There's an entire like subculture that tries to do this. There's a website called, I think it, I think it's called lifewithoutplastic.com that sells a bunch of gear. The gear is interesting. You basically mm-hmm. end up carrying around a lot of like containers because you'll go to like Well, if you eat meat, you'll go to like a butcher shop or something and you'll hand it to them and say like, hey, can you just put it in here? Everybody compliments it. They're always interested. They always ask you questions. It's a great way to make random friends with strangers. It's not that much of a hassle to carry these things around. They're aesthetically kind of cool. Like you end up getting a lot of sort of like bamboo and wood products and stainless steel stuff and and you jar things a lot. There's some grocery stores that are dedicated to this, but there's entire swaths of society that are just off limits to you. Like your shopping in the grocery store gets reduced to the bulk section and sort of you know loose stuff. Yeah. So it's it's hard. And, and credit to her, she was dedicated to really trying it. And again, there was there's interesting benefits to it. And of course, one of the benefits is not adding trash to the world. So. I sort of lived this one. And so I know what it takes a little bit. No one asked me to do exactly what the question is asking to do of like itemize everything I had done to that point. But after doing this experiment, I'm like keenly aware of how big that pile is. I mean, it's monumentally big.
1: Yeah. And it wouldn't be moving forward, right? Now it's just, it's really a retroactive thing. So it's really coming down to the fact that maybe you would have a smaller pile than us as your homework.
2: That's interesting. Yeah. Cause I, I did sort of skip a few years there. It's not about moving forward. Yeah. It's just a, you would have a marginally smaller pile than Lindsay and I. Yeah. And then it would also be like there's the gray area of like that I didn't recycle or I didn't try to recycle or I, you know, thought was recyclable or not. I mean, my price is really, really high because it just sounds like a total pain in the ass to like do this thing.
0: It sounds like the most annoying thing in the whole world. And I would have a lot of plastic. And te- I lived in Texas in the South. So they don't recycle. Every mechanical pencil I had in school made of plastic. Every, Like literally everything I had was plastic. Backpacks, binders. This sounds like a nightmare to do. This would be so expensive.
1: Yeah. God, decades of it.
0: Because not only does it suck just logistically, but it would, the time... The time that it would take to do this, you would be doing this for years. And then also, I hate logging. I hate data entry. It makes me just my, it makes my like I have a migraine just thinking about it. And also, it's very depressing to go back and look at the amount of waste, like the guilt I would have every single time I had to sit down and like, okay, we're getting into, you know nineteen ninety eight a real heavy plastic year for me, you know <laughs>
1: <laughs> we lived through the nineties that that was just
2: the most wasteful era, yeah, you can imagine, yeah, I mean, now I think it's pretty bad it's just it's kind of crazy with shipping and Amazon and everything else, the amount of they've sort of skirted the sort of moral outrage when it comes to because I think people just think, oh, it's so convenient. But it's crazy that, you you know, you get like a a racer this big and like a box with like 40 boxes in it and then a plastic sheeting. And it's yeah.
0: And a plastic bag and plastic bubble wrap. And yeah, there's one benefit,
1: though, which is I'm thinking about all of the rare collectibles that have like not made it to the trash proper or made it to the trash just from my childhood. Original Pokemon toys or like McDonald's plasticky toy things. There's like, you could sell those on eBay. Oh, in your imagination, you get to like
2: get these back.
1: <laughs> yeah, you get to catalog it. Then you get to go on like eBay or StockX or something and just really.
0: Yeah, but also selling stuff on eBay is annoying and gives me a migraine.
1: <laughs> What's annoying about sorting through a trash pile, Lindsay? <laughs>
0: It's even less the sorting. I would sit there and I would separate all the little things. Paint a
1: picture of your your experience sorting trash. Oh. I want to know how you see this going.
0: Sorting would be fine with me. Sitting, sorting, putting everything in the different things. That's one thing and that's fine. But it's the logging that I don't want to do. I don't want to sit at a computer and write down all the different... That would be awful. So annoying.
1: What (laughs) if the three of us did it together?
0: I mean, Yeah. That would be nice to not do it alone, but still. You would sort through
1: the pile. You'd have fun being physical with it, right? You'd get to sort through it and look through some stuff. Jay can regale us with fascinating, endless streams of anecdotes. <laughs> I can try and do a bit in between them and not really help do anything but derail. And we'd get through it. Well,
2: do you think that any of it would be enlightening? I mean, we all agree it's annoying, yeah. but do you like? would it change your attitude towards the engagement of the of trash and producing plastic? Like, is there any benefit after? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm already pretty focused on like limiting plastic usage wherever possible. I think single use plastics are one of the most harmful things that we do in our day to day life that every single person does. I think it's incredibly Mm -hmm. harmful. I think it's up there with eating meat and dairy is the single use plastics. I think it's all really, really bad. So I'm already kind of there. Like I already live that life of that awareness and how awful it is. That doesn't mean I don't occasionally find myself in a situation where I'm like, if I don't have a bottle of water right now, I don't have my refillable. I have, you know what I mean? Everyone gets stuck in times when they have to.
1: You're saying there'd be no character growth. It would just be an inconvenience.
0: I'm sure it would push me past the point of like, I'm not even going to take the water. I'm going to figure out a way. You know what I mean? Like, I would. It would probably push me to the point where I didn't allow myself to have any slips. You know, I would probably be like, waste free. I'm going waste free. It's happening.
2: I've lived on that side. It's it's doable. It's actually, there's something actually beautiful about it. If anyone yeah. listening is like interested in it, I promise you there's like, it's a wonderful conversation starter to hand over this like cool looking container of stainless steel to like, you know, someone at the coffee shop to be like, hey, can you just put the cookie in this? They always compliment it. They always want to know where you got it. They're all, and it's usually interesting. And if they ask you why, and you're just like, I'm just trying to reduce my plastic, you know, footprint in the world, everyone gets it and everyone agrees with it. And they feel guilty about it. You could feel morally superior to them for a second if you want, which yeah, people, people get off on. That I don't think should be the motivation to do it. There was actually a grocery store. I think it was in Germany back when I was more aware of this experiment that actually tried to go completely package free as an entire grocery store and they were dedicated to the mission. There might be a few others in Europe. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's doable. Um, there's something beautiful about it. But then from a political perspective, it's actually, it's, you know, a bit of a misdirection politically, if anyone goes down this rabbit hole of, there's way too much on the consumer. So like there, there's something about this question that's annoying because it's like, dude,
0: we don't have many options.
2: We don't have many options. And this is the oil industry, just kind of like half the things that I would put in the pile or have to log are things that I thought were recyclable. And everyone does. And everyone thought so, but it turns out they're not. And then it's like, do I have to log those? And it's, it's, not, it's not our fault. <laughs> I don't know if, I, if I'm driving towards my price, because this is a tough one for me.
0: I think I've got a price. I'm thinking obviously, I know that people do this for pennies on a dollar. But I feel like given the opportunity to make this into like a whole thing, and maybe use some of that money to help clean up the great Pacific garbage patch or figure out some better way to teach people how to be or not teach people, but like give them the tools with which they could use to be more waste free or also like lobby the government to put restrictions on corporations so Mm. that they can't create as much waste and give us other options that don't ruin the planet or put money into research for reusable, like making containers out of mushrooms or whatever that would actually biodegrade. Like, I feel like there's ways in which you can use that money to kind of solve the problem while doing this kind of like more in a performance art kind of way of logging all the plastic. So I'm going to say, because there is an altruistic way, and yes, I probably I would be able to support myself off of this. But this is also for the other stuff too. I'm going to say $100 million.
1: I feel like I'm on the other end of that pendulum lens. Like I I agree with these things, but to me, I'd probably want a half a million dollars. And I would probably do that mostly so that I could hire a bunch of people and give them wages to do this with and or for me. Okay. And then take the remaining money. Can't imagine it'll cost that much with a good amount of people, but it'll probably eat a hundred of that. Maybe if I got a massive pile of people do my lifetime's worth of decades worth of trash and sorting and filing and itemizing. I don't know. Yeah, half a million dollars, and then I would have enough money after that to cover for the work loss because I would probably make this a full-time thing forever long. Plus, give me the money that I imagine I will come out of this with an enlightened perspective of just what an impact my waste has put out there. And so it would probably make me want to start living this lifestyle a lot more, and I know it's expensive to get all the things you need for that as a one-time incurring cost. I don't know. That's That's kind of where I'm feeling. You could probably talk me down to four or something. I don't I don't know. I'm going to say five because I want to I get help with it. And I want to hire people to do it with me. And if that helps some people pay their rent
2: while I'm organizing trash, sure. Great. I like both of your answers a lot. I think I was a little lower. I think it was more like 75,000. It's sort of just like, I think I could do it because there's no time frame on the question. I think I could like do it in a year. And like you said, it's just sort of time to not do other stuff. I would try to make it public. I like Lindsay's answer of like, let's turn this into a political movement. We need a money, a lot of money to do it. But if my hypothetical sort of, you know, offer is not interested in going that high, I'd probably do it just for myself and try to make a little art project out of it myself and basically, you know, pay me a a decent year's wage of that wage and I'll knock it out. I feel like I could knock it out in a year without full time, actually. I feel like I, I, don't, I don't think I produce that much trash. I think I'd be, this is going all the way back to childhood. I do my, Back to the other question. I don't, or maybe if you did the second question first, my, my, my answer would change. I'd be like, oh, all that plastic is so vivid now. There's probably a lot of it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and you'd remember every piece of plastic.
2: But I think I can knock out the project within a year. And so, yeah, give me 75,000 and we'll call it a day and, and I'll have fun with it.
1: I want to see the documentary you'd make while doing it, right? Like the journey of learning about, it's like a, it's a personal biopic about the journey of your life through your refuse. Let's see what the folks at home wanted us to know about them. The high was $5 billion. (laughs) Someone does not want to do this. One person said $0. They said, why are you making me think about the thing I'm trying not to think about? Like, honestly, I shouldn't be paid to do it, but man, that's going to be a lot of trash. (laughs) Yeah, That's very true. Yeah. It's going to make you think about it. Yeah. It's putting it right in front of you. It goes back to the memory stuff, right? Yeah. There's a cost to having to be mindful and present with the things that you've done in your life. Yeah. yes, Yeah. A little more than a quarter of our audience put over $500 million. It's fair. One person put a hundred grand and said, quote, I've heard that most plastic can't actually be recycled Mm -hmm. it's mostly a lie we were told so i wouldn't have a guilty conscience about this it sounds more like a super tedious chore than anything else so the price
2: is to cover that for me yeah 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 this person's in in the know that's it's definitely true
0: this person gets it
2: yeah (laughs) well despite the
1: fact that it's hard to
2: pat ourselves on the back
1: as a culture man, we can pat ourselves on the back here with a few little awards
0: for the game we played. We love awards. Awards are fun. Everyone loves to get an award.
1: Jay, so we we look at all the audience averages for each question then add them up. So we look at the total cost across the board for what it would cost our audience to do on average these tasks and then compare them against our own. Lindsay, how's it looking today?
0: Well, so our total for the pulled listeners to do all three tasks today was $808 million feels high, listeners have a high number today. So we have two awards, the Lowly Liam Award, which is the award given to anyone who was under the audience average. And then we have the Highly Kylie Award, which is the award that we give for anyone that's over the audience average. The Lowly Liam Award this week has three winners.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No Highly Kylies.
0: No Highly Kylies this week.
1: No Kylies today.
0: I had 108.2 million. Aaron, you have 100.5 million. Jay, you have just over $5 million.
1: Nice. Hmm. How do you feel about that knowledge that you were 5 million against 800 million? take a
2: check. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. If, yeah. if the, yeah. if the award is, uh, is plastic, you know, it's funny. My mom just sold her house, actually my childhood house. And there's a bunch of plastic trophies down there that just came to mind when yeah. you said the award. And I'm like, Oh, I guess I'm going to log those
0: more
1: plastic. Yeah. Was it, was it a flex?
2: Was it childhood flex you're doing or was it uh, guilty yeah.
0: conscience so many trophies so many wow, trophies no, this is,
2: yeah it was, it was quite the little <laughs> baseball player to bring it back to the first question no no uh, there's a lot of plastic down there
1: <laughs> sounds like you were ambitious when you were younger you're definitely ambitious now you're doing a lot you want to talk about what people should have an eye out for
2: yeah well i do a podcast called dilemma that i love and and i do it for nothing and it's a little just like passion project but i have Amazing guests on there. If anyone goes through the archives, like Steven Pinker and David Deutsch, who's my favorite all-time thinker, and a lot of philosophy nerds. Uh, but I did an episode on sports too, which was one of my favorite ones, overlooked about uh, home field advantage during COVID. Super interesting. But it all has a philosophy bent. Super fun. If anyone wants to follow that, and I do some writing there. But two projects that I'm working on that I that will be public-ish over the next year is, um, I did a film with Sam Harris a few years ago called Islam and the Future of Tolerance. But I'm working with Sam again, um, going through his archives and doing these really cool audio, sort of two hour-ish long deep dives into different subjects that he cares about, like AI and consciousness and religion and uh, spirituality and meditation and these things and using clips of his so sort of a glorified clip show but i'm doing a ton of writing for it and megan phelps roper who has an incredible voice and incredible story she was in the westboro baptist church those are those people who held up those awful god hates fag signs back in the the 90s and 2000s she has left the church has an incredible story an incredible book and an amazing voice she does the the reading so there's that project that's going to be rolling out under sam's umbrella and then, it is not announced yet, but I am going to be working with Peter Singer on a uh, documentary that's a bit about his influence in the world and the big things that people have done since he's been putting ideas out in the world, like stopping eating animals and effective altruism and all these incredible movements. Um, so it's an honor to be sort of, as you said, swimming in the waters with the the big names of the sort of pop philosophy world. And hopefully I could keep telling their stories and communicating their ideas in a fun, accessible way. And on the screen, it's always a fun challenge, though. There you go.
1: Your passion is clear. Your knowledge in the space is clear. And I almost get the sense from just hanging out with you today that you just can't help yourself, but be passionate about rabbit holes and diving in and playing around these sandboxes. It's so evident And listening to your podcast
2: and this, it's like, it's so clear. Thank you. The deep dives is what I'm all about. So you're
1: welcome here. We love we love a rabbit hole here.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah we love I and yeah. I love the dilemma podcast. I think it's great. So everybody go give that a listen.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: Give it a listen. Give it a subscribe.
1: Go ahead and send it to everyone you've ever met in your whole life and remind them of the trash that you didn't throw out. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people at home are going to probably find it as thought provoking as we certainly did. It was really great. Cool. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, man. Thank you, guys.
0: Hey, Aaron, I got a little uh, snack for you. A little treat. You want it?
1: Nom, 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 nom.
0: Wow. Really just chomp that down. You full now?
1: You know, I'm still not full, but I am thoughtful after all that Jay Shapiro thinking stuff we did, because that is a thoughtful fellow.
0: Ooh, yeah. My head is just really to the brim with thoughts, considerations. I want to be a better person though I am not motivated to do the work. You know what I mean?
1: I so understand that about both of us. Listen, if we were to do an expedition to the Marianas Trench, I'm pretty sure we'd want Jay with us because that guy is already so deep. So deep. You know what else is deep is our unfathomable, immeasurable appreciation and love for all of you out there listening to the show. And you know what we love even more is when you guys play along. So run as fast as you can to your nearest browser and let us know your worth. We're always putting up new polls over at humanvaluespodcast.com.
0: If you liked our episode today, or if you just like our show in general, please spread the word. We appreciate it more than words could ever say. If you leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app and leave a rating while you're there because you're a really nice person, maybe we'll choose you for a shout out. Speaking of which, today we want to thank... Mike, 89, golf. Swing it up. I'm imagining a real sweetie pie born in 1989 playing golf. He said, fun concept. I'm enjoying listening to the show. Some of the questions are really unique and the answers are unexpected. Well, Mike 89 Golf.
1: Thanks, Mike.
0: How dare you say something so sweet?
1: How dare you make us feel?
0: How dare you make me feel?
1: And thanks for sticking around if you're still there because you have reached the créditos.
0: Oh, oh my God. We're here.
1: We're your hosts. Here's my impression of you. Lindsay X.
0: And (laughs) Robin
1: That sounds just like me. Special thanks to our amazing guest this week, Jay Shapiro. Jay, you were a hoot and a holler in handbasket.
0: JJ, baby boy, love you so. Lindsay, who makes the show? Our lead producer is Rob Goldman. Our producers are Shanti Brooke and Aaron Rubin Corney. Our editor is Andrew Sims. Our engineer is Jason Portizo. And our music is by Omer Benzvi.
1: All information, research, and advice shared on today's episode was expressed for entertainment purposes only. Statements provided by the Human Values hosts, production team, and guests should not be taken as professional advice or fact. What did Bagel just say?
0: She said Human Values is a human content production.